It's uh, really a joy to be here and to be able to share with you because I know that so many of you have been helping through your prayers and your gifts um, to make possible the work that I'm just going to show you. But first of all, why does the Barnabas Fund exist? Well, we are commanded in God's word to do good to all people but especially to those who belong to the family of believers, our own brothers and sisters. And there are many wonderful organizations who are following the first half of that command, doing good to all, but not so many are focusing on the family of believers. And that's what we believe we at Barnabas Fund are called to do. And within that family, we feel that our special calling is to help those who suffer because they bear the name of Christ. And this is a very great need. You'll see the um, research there just from last year shows that Christians are the most harassed faith group in the world. And if you count up the figures, one in ten of our brothers and sisters is living in a context of pressure or persecution where they suffer just because they love the Lord. How do we help? Many different ways, and this diagram just shows some of the main ways. But we will do anything which helps suffering Christians or strengthens the church and the mission of the church in places of persecution. Our method is very simple. We're just a channel for gifts from Christians, through Christians, that's first of all Barnabas Fund, and then it's churches and local Christian organisations on the ground in the countries, to Christians who receive the help at the end of that little chain. Um, we send money, as I said. We don't send people. We fund projects that Christians in those countries have started, they've had the vision and they're running. All we do is provide part of the finance and encourage people all around the world to pray. And where do we do it? Well, since Barnabas Fund started, we've helped in over 80 different countries and I'm showing you here the main regions of the world where we work. And who do we help? Here's a list of some of the people that we help, and I'm going to introduce you to these brothers and sisters in the next few slides. Let's start with children, because they are the most vulnerable group of all. And you know, it's often children who are at the front line of persecution. Maybe they have to go day by day to school in a very hostile environment. They may be the only Christian child there. They may be even marked down in their exams and their work because of being a Christian, let alone the hostility, the mockery, even the violence that they may face. If you read our material, you'll know there was a schoolboy in Egypt who was actually killed, (coughs) killed by his classmates just a few months ago. So a priority for us is helping Christian children to get an education in a loving, caring, Christian environment. And this is one of the newest of 41 schools that we're supporting here in Bangladesh. This one in Bethlehem is one that we've been supporting for many, many years. And it's a really exciting and wonderful and heartwarming project to visit. 
Here's an example from Egypt. Now, I wonder if you've heard of the garbage cities that surround Cairo, the capital of Egypt. These are like just enormous um, tips where um, they bring the household trash. And communities of Christians are living there. They sort it out with their bare hands and they make a little money um, by selling some of the products. And you can imagine that living in that kind of environment is very unhealthy. So a lot of the children have chronic sicknesses or are disabled. And this school, just opened a few months ago, um, that we built, is providing an education for them and also the specialist facilities needed to care for their um, physical needs. We also help a lot of Christian orphans, for example in Burma, where Christians are very badly persecuted. And in this particular orphanage that we support, many of these children have lost their parents because of persecution. Their parents have been killed because of persecution. And here the children are waving when uh, some food was delivered to them not so long ago. Here are some other Christian children that we're feeding. Now, they live in a refugee camp in northeast Kenya, which is mainly Muslim, but there is a small number of Christians living there, just a few hundred families in a huge, huge camp. And as the aid is distributed in this camp, sad to say, the Christians don't always get as much as the Muslim majority. And that may seem hard to believe, but that's what often happens in natural disaster situations where Christians are discriminated against and despised. So we're helping those Christian families there. And in particular, we're helping the under fives. And there you can see them queuing up with their cups ready to receive their special food supplement. Children don't only need food for their bodies, they also need nourishment spiritually. And here's a project which um, we support with a Christian magazine in three different languages, including Kyrgyz. And this really encourages and builds up the children in their faith in very difficult situations. Now, another very vulnerable group are the elderly. And many of the Christians that we help are older brothers and sisters This lady here in Pakistan, we've been helping to feed her ever since the floods in Pakistan two years ago. And she's just one of many older folk and younger ones that we're helping to feed there till they can get their lives sorted out again. We also fund a number of residential care homes in uh, several different countries around the world. And here are two in Lebanon. The one on the left is up and running already, but it needs quite a lot of renovation work on it. And on the right, there's a brand new one being built. Uh, We took that photo just last month when we were visiting. The Bible has a lot to say about helping widows, doesn't it? Widows are not necessarily elderly. Many of the ones that we help are young mothers with several young children to care for. And in the societies where they live, it's extremely difficult for a woman who does not have a husband or a close male relative. But here in in Bangladesh, for example, when we were giving out relief after the flood, um, there were a number of Christian widows helped. And one of them here, she was so grateful that she was crying and crying with happiness when she received her food parcel. 
We're also helping widows in Zimbabwe, uh, a country of great suffering in many different ways. And here in Kenya, we're enabling the widows to support themselves. We provided funds for this maize mill, and now they can uh, be self-sufficient selling the um, maize that they grind in their mill. Here, this is Rose, a widow in Burundi. We gave her some bean seeds, and this photo shows her standing proudly in front of her crop of beans that she has grown, no longer dependent on outside help. Of course, we also help whole families. And very often it is through providing food for very poor and needy families. Egypt has a lot of very, very poor Christians. And we've been helping for many years feeding through the local churches. But since the Arab Spring, things have got much worse for Christians there. They're facing greater violence and hostility and their greater needs from the general crisis. So this photo is from a new program that we've had to start since the Arab Spring because of the greater needs of the Christians. You can see they're holding their food parcel there, the brother on the right. Now just going back to northeast Kenya and the famine there, this mother um, gave a, a wonderful testimony of how much it meant to her. She said that the food we, we gave had actually saved her children and ensured that they were going to survive the drought. She says, my worry about what my family will eat tomorrow is now gone and I feel relaxed. Here's a family where it's the father who bears the uh, brunt of the worry and care for his family. I'm sorry, the picture's not very good quality, but I wanted to share with you his words and show you his picture. His name is Bashir. And he said, the help we're getting from Barnabas is like ointment on our wounds. Now, this feeding program in Pakistan really changes lives. All we do is give 50% of their food needs each month. But that makes such a difference. The first thing that most families do is they stop sending their children out to work when they get this food and they start sending their children to school instead. And this is wonderful because this gives hope for the future because though many of the parents are illiterate, if their children can go to school and learn to read and write, they should, Lord willing, get jobs a little bit better than the jobs their parents had. So they should be able to support their children without needing extra food parcels. Now what is really wonderful with Bashir is that his son has not only gone to school, but he's also now at college. And that is such an unusual thing for Pakistani Christians who, who start from a position of such poverty and need. And the other thing with Bashir is that his wife is very sick. And many of these Christians, when they get sick, they just can't pay for any medical help. They just have to endure their illness. But Bashir's wife is able to get um, medical care now because Bashir can save the money because of the food parcels. The situation in Iraq is very different because the Christians there um, were not a traditionally poor and illiterate community at all. They were very different from Egypt and Pakistan. They were well educated and they would have jobs like uh, doctors, dentists, teachers and university lecturers. So why should Christians like this need food parcels? 
What happened was, when Saddam Hussein was overthrown, do you remember there was such chaos and lawlessness unleashed in Iraq? Anybody could do anything they wanted because nobody was there to stop them. And what some of the extremists wanted was to, as they would call it, cleanse their country of any Christian presence. And the method was simple. They were going to intimidate and scare the Christians into leaving. So there were threats, there were murders, kidnappings, bombings of churches. Not surprisingly, hundreds of thousands of Christians left their homeland, and many of them settled in Syria, which has welcomed them in. But they now had no home, they had no job, and very soon they would they moved to uh, a position of destitution. They turned to the churches for help, and the churches turned to Barnabas. We provided the funds, and they provided the food parcels. Armenian Christians have really, really suffered for the Lord over many, many years. Now, they do have their own homeland, Armenia now, but it's terribly poor. Look at that house on the right, and then consider that in winter, the temperatures in Armenia often fall to minus 20 degrees Celsius. Now, how can you live in a house like that, in a temperature like that? We're just trying to help them to keep warm. We're giving them winter fuel. Now, most of them, it's wood to burn, and sometimes it's electricity, and then we pay their bills. But it's even better when we can help families to become self-sufficient, to move from poverty into being able to support themselves. And these ladies are walking home with bags of seeds on their head that they have been given through one of our, the programs we support. And they will plant those seeds and grow food for their families. That's just one of many self-sufficiency programs that we support. Now, we often help also a whole congregation or, or church For example, in Sri Lanka, where there was a terrible civil war for many years, which finally finished in 2009. Now, the Christians were not involved in the civil war, but they lived in the place where all the fighting was. Many homes were destroyed, which were helping to rebuild, and also about a 100 churches. And those Christians are too poor to rebuild their own church buildings. So we're trying to help them. We've done seven so far, and you can see two of them there. And we've got ten partly built, and one of those is on the right. So that's 17, and we've got 83 to go. We also help whole communities of Christians, uh, where they often will be a Christian village in a mainly Muslim-majority area, for example. And this is a water pump which is shared by a community of Christians in Bangladesh. And they are all converts from Islam. That means they suffer a lot of discrimination from the Muslim villagers. And if they didn't have this water supply, they wouldn't have any access to the water. And here is a very interesting situation. There was a village in Indonesia called Harali, and it was attacked about four or five years ago by Muslims, and they did an awful lot of damage to the houses, and I think all the three church buildings were damaged to different extents. So we help with rebuilding. You can see some of the new houses there. On the right, that is um, a communal um, washroom, uh, because they don't have them in their own homes. It's very simple lifestyle. And at the bottom, that's one of our churches being rebuilt. 
So all was going well until they got a challenge about did they legally own the land these buildings were on. Well, they had to go to court and prove it. And it has taken all this time and quite a lot of legal fees, which Barnabas Fund has covered. But finally, three weeks ago, came the good news. Yes, they've won the case. They've proved their ownership. Now they have their buildings and they have their land. A real priority for us is Christians who've suffered violence or injustice because of their Christian faith. And I expect many of you um, are praying for our sister Asya Bibi, who's in prison in Pakistan right now, accused of what they call blasphemy. Um, they're saying that she criticized Muhammad. Uh, it, it's a trumped up charge like they all are with Christians, but she has been given a death sentence. And she's there in prison. Now her family had to go into hiding because zealous Muslims believe that they are pleasing God if they kill anyone accused of blasphemy and if they kill their nearest and dearest as well. So her husband can't work anymore because he has to hide. So we're helping them with monthly food and also a special extra grant for winter to buy clothes and blankets and things to keep warm. This is a very, very brave Christian girl, and I'd like to tell you her story. She's 16. She is the daughter of a pastor, a pastor who's been suffering harassment from the police for a long time. Now, one day the police turned up at the family home, and her father and her brother were out. It was just Ruth and her mother in. And Ruth answered the door, and there were the police asking for her father. And she said, he's not here. And then the police tried to open the door of their car, which was parked nearby. Now, Ruth was afraid that what they planned to do was plant drugs in the car and then later discover them and then arrest her father, because that is a, a regular thing that the police do to pastors in this part of the world. So she tried to stop them, and they did not like that. And they took that young girl and they beat her. They beat her against the car. And they beat her and hit her with other things until they'd beaten her unconscious. Her family took her to hospital and the hospital began to treat her. And they asked, how on earth did this girl get such severe injuries? And when her family explained that the police had done it to her, the hospital said, take her away. We're not going to treat her. So they took her to the capital, Tashkent, to a hospital there, but they also refused to treat her. And finally, they had to take her to Russia. There was nowhere in their own country that they could find treatment for her. So they've got her some medical care in Russia, but of course this is expensive, and we have helped to cover it. But this girl is, is very severely damaged, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Um, you can see she's sitting in a wheelchair in this picture. Now, the latest news I have is that she is starting to learn to walk again. But her left arm is really non-functional. Um, she's been having frequent blackouts. And she is so frightened that even, even if both her parents are in the room, she still can't bear to have the light switched off. She can't be in the dark at all now. So please pray for Ruth and ask that God would heal this brave, brave sister of ours. 
You might know about the um, huge, uh, in, uh, large-scale incident of anti-Christian violence that occurred in Orissa State in India in 2007 and 2008. It was Hindu extremists attacking churches and Christian homes and killing a number of Christians. And about 60,000 Christians were made homeless in that incident. Now, over the years, some of them have found places to settle, but there's still about 10,000, say that would be 2,000 families, who still don't have a proper place to live. And we're starting to help rebuild. We've done 577 houses so far. And here's a couple of examples of people we've helped. Now, on the left, you can see the kind of... You can see where he is, has been living. It looks as if it's made of newspaper, doesn't it? I don't know exactly what it's built of, but it's certainly uh, not very weatherproof. On the right is the new house, the new brick house being built. And here's another family standing in the left in front of their old house and on the right in front of their new house. Um, so it's really encouraging that we've been able to help them get new houses. These houses, they only cost about $1,100 each. It's just one simple brick room, quite a small room. So that's that for them is the house that they need and want. Top of the list of Christians who suffer for their faith must be converts from other religions because for them it's normal to be persecuted when they make a decision to follow Christ. It's unusual not to suffer. Here is a pastor who used to be a Muslim sheikh and then he became a Christian and he's now quite a senior pastor in Uganda. He's also been speaking out to warn about the gradual Islamization of his country, particularly in legal matters. And it was probably because of this that he was attacked on Christmas Eve and acid was thrown at his face. He was very badly burnt, in particular one eye. And, and his prayer request to us about ten days ago was that the doctors who are treating him want to remove the eye altogether. But he said he's beginning to see a little bit of light in that eye. And he's, he's really asking, let the doctors know the right thing to do, or can we find doctors who could save that eye for him? So pray for him as well. In the same country... Um, but not, not nearly such desperate suffering, thankfully. This group of women, all converts from Islam, they're learning skills that they can support themselves with. Now, why do converts need that? Because very often they're thrown out of their jobs when they become Christians. So they need to have some skills that they can be self-employed and have their own businesses. Here is a group of Afghan converts and their children. They're not in Afghanistan, they've had to flee. Christians in Afghanistan, as converts from Islam, are very likely to be killed. It could be the Taliban who kills them, it could be the Afghan government who executes them according to their law. But either way, it's very, very dangerous to be an Afghan Christian in Afghanistan. So we're helping to care for this group with food and rent and other practical needs. And converts, like all Christians need building up in the faith. So here is just one example of a lit recent literature project for Turkish converts from Islam. Now, we support 
uh, a lot of literature projects, although I haven't time in this presentation to speak much about them. But in the last two years, we provided nearly one and a half million pieces of literature, Bibles, scriptures and other things for Christians in situations of pressure and persecution. And the final group of people that I'd like to introduce you to are full-time Christian workers serving the Lord in situations of great hardship and hostility and danger amongst their own people group or in their own country. Uh, for example, a group of pastors in Sierra Leone, um, this couple in Central Asia evangelizing amongst Muslims there, um, in Chad, there's a couple there on the left and an Ethiopian brother on the right praying, I think, with two new converts. They're all working amongst Muslims in difficult and harsh situations. And it's our privilege to contribute a proportion of their support. But those in um, full-time ministry just don't only need support, they also need training, resourcing and equipping so a high priority for us is leadership training. Now, it could be just a three-day training course, like this one in Tajikistan. Just three days, but what a difference it made. If you read the um, words there of Salman, he had, he'd only been a Christian for two years. Before that, he was a Muslim, and his wife was converted even more recently. But already, they're in ministry, um, but they had had almost no training. And so he found that three-day course just fantastic for equipping him and answering his own questions about the Bible to help him as he shares the gospel. So we, we support over 10,000 Christians to be trained in the last two years. It could be a three-day course like this. It could be full-time Bible college. It could be anything in between, distance learning, all kinds of things. We believe that um, strong leaders will strengthen the church. Now, just to set all these little single examples in context, last year we supported 421 projects in 66 different countries. We sponsored 7,408 Christian children in 41 different Christian schools. We've also been helping in North Korea, which I think is the worst place in the whole world to be a Christian. We've helped to feed 93,000 Christians in 10 different countries. And we've supported 481 Christian workers in 33 countries. We've done a lot in Sudan and South Sudan, where Christians are in great need. And we've as I just said, we've trained 10,011 Christians in 26 different countries. Um, sorry that this is in pounds, but just to translate it into dollars, it's over a million dollars to help Christian victims of violence last year. And say a quarter of a million dollars to help Iranian Christians, both in Iran, where they're suffering hugely. You might have got our press release on that today if you get our emails. And around the world. And 1,480,834 Bible scriptures and other pieces of Christian literature in 14 languages over the last two years. But none of this is possible except by the grace of God and through the gifts and prayers of his people. And that's all of you here, I'm sure. So thank you very, very much for the part that you have played in making these things possible.